0: board bombs Now here's Doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs Greetings. My name is Blake Briggs, the co-host and co-founder of m Board Bombs. Thanks for joining us for another riveting episode. I'm going solo on this one today. My comrade in arms, Dr. Hussein, is actually too busy taking his Lamborghini to get a uh, reservice, so it's just me today, or it's his Ferrari. I always get confused. Tuesdays, Thursdays, I think it's the Ferrari, and. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, it's the Lamborghini. He gets a whole detail done. They wax it from everything. You know how it is. It's Dr. Hussein's life. We just live in it. So we're doing 10 to 15-minute episode podcasts. You can gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. You can sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, as well as printed handouts. These are our, quote-unquote, smart bombs. These have just taken off over the past few months. You can go to our website at emboardbombs.com. For all this information and we're so excited to announce our new website makeover it looks fresh it is amazing we want to reach out to chase countryman hashtag lord megatron hashtag total boss for redoing the entire website it is absolutely incredible thank you chase um he will be graduating in 2020 and an em hopeful he is an awesome dude So remember, we're also looking for people to do our Apple review. So take a look on Apple, drop us a review. You can find us on Twitter, too, at EMBoardBombs, as well as Instagram, at EMBoardBombs. So let us begin. We have a 27-year-old female brought in by police due to disorientation. She was found in a nearby alley by bystanders, and she was barely moving. After they posted selfies on Instagram with hashtag saving lives, hashtag just like Grey's Anatomy, EMS was called. So on arrival to the ED. The patient's temperature was actually 101 Fahrenheit. The nurse recognizes the patient from weeks earlier when she presented to the ED singing "Burn Baby Burn" Disco Inferno as security attempted to restrain her from lighting a flame to her nasal cannula device. She was chemically restrained at that time, heavily chemically restrained, and then she was ultimately discharged with psychiatric follow-up. She actually was prescribed uh, high-dose uh, quetiapine, Seroquel, and uh, venlafaxine. Currently, she's tachycardic in the 120s and she's warm to touch, diaphoretic. Which of the following is true? A, age is a major risk factor for this condition. Choice B, temperature greater than 40 Celsius is very common. Choice C, this condition develops over the course of days. And choice D, clonus is a classic finding. The correct answer here is going to be C, this condition develops over the course of days. Uh, We're going to really be talking about, if you caught on with the question, caught on with the answer choices, the difference between NMS, which is also called neuroleptic malignant syndrome, and serotonin syndrome. too really classic board presentations, classic talks presentations. They're taught in med school decently well, but in real life, it's tougher to tell the difference sometimes, and so we're really gonna hit this hard. NMS should really be called antipsychotic malignant syndrome. I think that's actually a more appropriate name, and it really is an idiosyncratic drug reaction. It's not an allergy. Um, these patients present with altermental status, rigidity, fever, and dystonia. Pay attention to those four hallmark signs and symptoms—the tetrad, as they call them—tetrad of NMS: altered mental status, rigidity, fever, and dysautonomia. You're going to see similar symptoms in serotonin syndrome when we talk about it soon. You also see a similar presentation in something called malignant hyperthermia. We're not going to talk about today because malignant hyperthermia, in my opinion, is so classically associated with just anesthetic gases or succinylcholine, and that's going to either be the OR, or just intubation in the ED. So in my opinion, it's really not that hard to diagnose malignant hyperthermia. Um, it's, at least on the boards, and honestly, real life too, you're going to see a rapid within minutes um, rise in temperature, rigidity, terminal status, you know, dysautonomia, that sort of stuff. So We're just going to leave that out of discussion today because I don't think you should ever confuse malignant hyperthermia with NMS and serotonin syndrome. Um, So let's go further with NMS. In total, a lot of patients get antipsychotics, as you know. And this reaction we've come to find out, we really don't know why it happens. Sure, it has to do something with the dopamine, basal ganglia pathway, whatever. We don't really know, and you're never going to be tested on it. What you do need to know is that it's very rare. Less than 3% total of all patients on antipsychotics. It's also not dose-dependent, and it is not an allergy. Age is not a risk factor here, so that was choice A. First-gen antipsychotics are probably the biggest risk, as you could imagine, and what you remember from med school. This includes, of course, haloperidol, flufenazine. The second-gen antipsychotics, along with antiemetics, these are also risk factors. So remember our antiemetics that uh, involve the dopamine pathway, metoclopramide, promethazine, triperidol, prochlorperazine, those are all going to be risk factors. So first and second gen antipsychotics, and then those anti that we just talked about, these are all risk factors. The worst offenders, of course, being the first gen or first generation antipsychotics because they are true dopamine antagonists. So this pretty much occurs whenever it wants. Um, the biggest risk factors we found out is going to be Rapid dose escalation. So just like this patient in the question, they had rapid IV and IM doses in the ED, and then they were rapidly put on outpatient therapy. Switching to one agent or the other, or multiple drugs at the same time. So patient getting antipsychotics and then getting antiemetics and then switching between different agents. The presentation is classically over a few days. So remember that. That's gonna be different from serotonin syndrome. So remember this tetrad of mental status, rigidity, hyperthermia, and autonomic instability. These are going to be more or less the same four tetratus symptoms for serotonin syndrome, but there's going to be subtle differences, and it'll help us a lot here. So, alter mental status is in 80% of patients, but it's difficult because a lot of these patients in this population are mentally distressed at baseline. So, this part can be difficult to tease out. You know, are they different from their baseline? Um, you know, you have to rely on these other symptoms that can help out. And rigidity is one of those helpful symptoms. This is usually the quote-unquote lead pipe rigidity. Uh, The tremor can be variable, so I wouldn't rely on that. Um, One very helpful distinguishing symptom here is bradyreflexia. This is going to be very different from serotonin syndrome, which is hyperreflexia. Hyperthermia is one of the quote-unquote hallmark symptoms. Temperature greater than 38 Celsius, so just febrile, is very common. It's in like 90% of the patients. However, if you're expecting temperatures greater than like 104, It's actually not in the majority of patients, uh, scarily enough. You would think, oh, I can just rely on this high temperature. Unfortunately, it's not. It's only seen in like less than 50% of patients. Um, The temperature alone, you know, being febrile, I would say is just absolutely necessary for this diagnosis on the boards. But a temperature above 103 or 104 Fahrenheit, you know, that is not going to be common. So keep that in mind. In real life, on boards will probably throw you a bone and say, oh, the patient does have a temperature above 103 and automatically gets you thinking that this is not just an infection, this is a toxicologic response. So, autonomic instability, that's fancy wording just for classic sympathetic signs. So, tachycardia, 90% of patients, hypertension, and over half of them, tachypnea, and over half of them. These are all very not helpful things alone, right? Because plenty of patients, especially, Mentally disturbed patients that come in—they have all these symptoms, but those three should really get you going into thinking about some type of toxicologic issue. They're often diaphoretic as well too. The diagnosis is clinical, as we've just talked about. You can get labs, and you know the labs here are very helpful for ruling out other things. Like you can't really ignore an infection taking place, right? Encephalitis, meningitis, that sort of thing. So an elevated CK is often present due to the muscle rigidity and increased friction and heat. And then you're going to get leukocytosis, very nonspecific things, right? The biggest complication of these people is going to be rhabdomyolysis. Two things to keep in mind as you're working up these patients. uh, Remember that NMS and serotonin syndrome are both diagnoses of exclusion. You need to exclude any, you know, encephalopathic, meningitic patterns as well as brain masses or lesions. You should think about that with these patients. Complications of NMS. So obviously general shock, DIC, picture, and then (laughs) just like, you know, there's this long list on all these websites and resources I've been looking at that are like a long list of 20 million things that can happen with NMS. (laughs) This is basically just an end organ ischemia kind of pathway, meaning that eventually everything's going to shut down and be horrible. (laughs) You'll go to hepatic failure. You're going to go into renal failure. Um, you're going to get cardiac dysrhythmias and cardiomyopathy, you know, blah, 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 that whole thing. So what's the treatment? So early intubation for these people, uh, for tight, you know, control of their body temperature, as well as just cooperation in terms of uh, sedation, um, You want to hydrate these people, fever control via blankets. Tylenol doesn't have any use here, um, and that's because this is not a hypothalamic-regulated process. This is a generalized skeletal muscle process. I had a pharmacist uh, at my medical school, was from northern England, and I learned half my pharmacology with him. And he would always say skeletal instead of skeletal muscle and uh, methotrexate instead of methotrexate, but... Um, that's my life. And then, you know, the classic tot psychologic, you know, what do you do for agitation, sedation issues? Pretty much in any tox situation, unless they've overdosed on benzos, you should get benzos. <laughs> so benzos are great for agitation both in cocaine use, in serotonin syndrome, and NMS. What about dantrolene? Everybody's been talking about dantrolene. Dantrolene's hotly debated. There's no trials to support it. So we start with benzos. That's kind of the typical real world answer. And then you go to dantrolene as needed in this moderate, severe cases. If it's very severe and you don't have an improvement, even with dantrolene, you're reaching up the top, top shelf to bromocryptine or amantadine. Wow, remember those things? Talk about things that ER docs don't really give often. Uh, Remember that dantrolene, just a quick review, is a muscle relaxant? This isn't the type of muscle relaxant you would send your grandma home on. Uh, In general, newsflash, you shouldn't be sending home, really, any grandmas on muscle relaxants. Um, Quick note about this on the boards. You know, I think the classic association on boards is NMS... You think dantrolene. Same with malignant hyperthermia. Um, So I'm thinking that that's what they're going to want you to pick. So unfortunately, you know, on boards, dantrolene is going to be the answer still. That's what that classic association they're testing you on um, for sedation issues. Benzos are the way to go. And the dantrolene, just keep in mind in real life, has not been really associated with any increased survival or uh, faster recovery. So speaking of recovery, what is the prognosis of these patients? Uh, remember that these patients' mortalities is less than 20% overall. It used to be like 70% like back in the day. Um, the time course of like the illness and, you know, when it resolves is about five to seven days, most with neurologic recovery. The big kicker here, and this might frighten people, is that you actually can restart antipsychotics. Remember, this is an idiosyncratic reaction, not an allergic reaction. Um, they've done multiple studies, and they haven't really established an association yet with people that get this again. You know, if you get it once, is it like angioedema? You will get it again. Um, So that, again, is beyond the scope of our today's discussion. All right, so let's talk about serotonin syndrome, and then we'll compare the two and finish up. Serotonin syndrome can result from really any combo of serotonergic agents. Um, Most commonly, it results from an overdose of a single agent, uh, an intentional overdose. So you're going to have serotonin, um, which is kind of a weird hormone. So serotonin increases GI motility, causes hypertension, it causes bronchoconstriction. Um, The worst offenders for serotonin syndrome, you know, I've kind of dumbed this down. There's a list of like 40 agents. Let's dumb it down to the most common ones and the ones you can remember the easiest. This is also a classically tested concept in the list of the most concerning drugs that cause this. SSRIs, SNRIs, you know, obviously, they have the word serotonin in it. Remember the uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors? Those are going to be actually some of the most severe cases, uh, and you learn that in med school. Um, isonizid is one of those uh, classic drugs that comes up. Usually grandma has in her purse taking it for TB uh, because so many grandmas in the United States are taking <laughs> medications for TB right? Super common. Uh, linezolid is a um, superior antibiotic that is kind of like vanc. It treats uh, MRSA and other gram positive infections. Um, it is classically associated with serotonin syndrome. Um, TCAs, because they are horrible drugs and they um, basically were created by Voldemort himself. Tramadol, another uh, one of our favorite opioids that we should never be giving is outpatient therapy, uh, uh methadone, fentanyl, and then all these like cough syrups, which is like uh, dextromethorphan. And then I lumped all these amphetamines together, basically MDMA, any type of methamphetamines and ecstasy. Then finally on the list, uh, lithium, weirdly enough. I haven't seen too many questions on that, though. They usually stick with the ones we talked about. So in general, let's sum it up. We got some pain meds, which are all opioids, right? They're opioid-like. We have cough and cold medications like dextromethorphan, amphetamines, and then all of our psych meds, the SSRIs, the SNRIs, the MAO inhibitors and then randomly two, like, antimicrobials, isoniazid and linezolid, all right? So, glad we got that down. Make sure you know those. Those are commonly tested, easy points you don't want to miss. So, serotonin syndrome, pretty much the same stuff as NMS. In terms of presentation, you have altermental status, which is anxiety, delirium. This is at over 80% of patients again. Rigidity, as we talked about before. Sympathetic signs, as we talked about before. This is going to be tachycardic, right? And just like NMS, they're going to have mydriasis, hypertension, diaphoresis, etc. And then hyperthermia. Hyperreflexia, however, is very different from NMS, and that's a key sign. Key difference, number one, is that serotonin syndrome has hyperreflexia. It also has something called clonus which was one of the answer choices. Clonus is basically some form of involuntary, rhythmic muscular contraction and relaxation phase that happens either it can happen spontaneously the most common location you're going to find clonus on a physical exam is found at the ankle you basically forcibly dorsiflex it and then you let go and the ankle will kind of go into this rhythmic kind of dorsiflexion plantar flexion movement like up and down it's kind of weird it's kind of freaky it's also found in other places but that's gonna be the classic place and it's also the classic place because thankfully that's the most common place for it so interesting enough the findings of hyperreflexia and clonus considerably more common in the lower extremities for serotonin syndrome. GI symptoms are also common thanks to serotonin being increased. So you have that GI motility, you have vomiting, diarrhea. So the diagnosis is really the same as NMS. You have a high clinical suspicion. You have to rule out other things. The key point here, uh, really kind of a great life pearl, remember to measure Tylenol and salicylate levels in these patients also because unlike NMS, uh, which you could debate getting those tests still, In these patients in particular, the most common cause is an overdose. You want to rule out the other overdoses too. They could have just went to their, you know, medicine cabinet, dumped a whole cache of pills down their throat. The onset of serotonin syndrome, unlike NMS, is less than 24 hours. In fact, most are like less than six hours. So these patients are going to come in and they're going to be symptomatic almost immediately. So in terms of criteria, how do we diagnose this? Well, you know, years ago, the Hunter criteria was created, and you may have heard of this, and it basically has to have two points in order to meet the criteria now again on boards you don't really have to know the hunter criteria you could get the point of the question enough just by reading it and saying oh this is serotonin syndrome and based on what we talked about so far in real life though it's obviously a little more difficult and i don't expect anyone to memorize the hunter criteria i don't memorize it uh, but some of the points make sense so i'm just going to read through them so you have it um the hunter criteria has to have two things in order for serotonin syndrome to be present. One is pretty obvious. So point one, patient must have taken some form of serotonergic agents, the things we talked about. Could be in combo, could have been just one of them. That's easy to get, right? Two, must have one of the following sets of symptoms or signs. Spontaneous clonus, clonus plus agitation or diaphoresis, tremor plus hyperreflexia, hypertonia plus fever plus clonus. So I don't expect anybody to know that. It's just reading it off so you understand it. You can look at MD calc in real life. And on boards, you don't have to know that. You know, the things we talked about so far, if you're with me, you're going to get this question right on the boards. The Hunter criteria, just for clinical reference, is actually very good. Um, The sensitivity is like 85% or something, and the specificity is above 95%. Close to... The gold standard, and the gold standard, of course, is diagnosis by your friendly neighborhood toxicologist. and When you're on the phone with them and telling them, they're like, "Uh, you dummy, it's serotonin syndrome. It resolves less than 24 hours with treatment, much shorter course, of course, than NMS. And the whole thing you're going to do here is the same as NMS, right? You're going to sedate with benzodiazepines. You're going to hydrate them. You're going to cool them with blankets. Remember, tonal has no role here. And if the temperature is greater than 41 degrees Celsius, these patients need to be intubated, sedated, paralyzed. Um, it's just a high risk of a rough clinical course if you don't do that, kind of like NMS we talked about. So I'm sure you all are waiting to hear about it. What's that classic antidote for serotonin syndrome? It's going to be ciproheptidine. This is basically an H1 antagonist. turns out it's also a serotonin, otherwise a, known as a, a 5-HTA receptor antagonist. That's a serotonin receptor. There's no studies that exist right now to support its use or against it's use however people are often giving this it's only an oral medication so you have to insert an ng tube and or og tube and give it through there Um, no dantrolene or antipsychotics are indicated so that is definitely the wrong answer the prognosis is same as nms thankfully if you treat this very aggressively with supportive measures plus or minus ciproheptadine start to turn around pretty well Um, that's the majority of patients so let's Summarize here the differences between NMS and serotonin syndrome. Difference number one, time course. Neuroleptic malignant syndrome develops over the course of days, typically less than five days. Serotonin syndrome develops within 24 hours, in fact, most often in less than six hours. Symptoms and signs. Remember that NMS and serotonin syndrome both have Ultramental status, rigidity, hyperthermia, and some form of autonomic instability. They're usually a quote-unquote sympathomimetic presentation. They both have tachycardiac hypertension, tachypnea, mydriasis, diaphoresis. Serotonin syndrome has the added benefit of having vomiting and diarrhea. Serotonin syndrome also has greater lower extremity signs. They have hyperreflexia. Meanwhile, NMS has bradyreflexia. And serotonin syndrome has clonus, especially in the lower extremities. Remember that. I'm not going to go through the causes because we clearly know the causes of both are entirely different. And then the treatment is the same. You know, you sedate with benzos, you hydrate them, you cool them. And then for NMS, the classic antidote on board is dantrolene. And then for serotonin syndrome, the classic antidote is ciproheptidine. All right, that's another board bomb delivered. Remember to sign up on our website, EM Board Bombs, for future episodes, new content updates. Again, that is emboardbombs.com. It's totally free to sign up no cost to you. But if you subscribe with us, you get some special stuff, special handouts, sneak peeks on things. Check it out. Also want to give a special shout out to Dr. Eric Katz, the one and only cool cat. He's actually just graduated Wake Forest residency for emergency medicine. He's now a pediatric emergency medicine fellow at Wake Forest University. want to thank him today for this topic idea. Really a fantastic doctor. Um, Love working with him and just a fantastic person all around. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.